Actually, I was good regardless of how you were doing, but, but now that we've cleared that up, we are so glad you are here this morning. Let me give you just two quick housekeeping announcements. Uh, we are, uh, over the last two years, we've been using a church software management thing called Planning Center, uh, and uh, there are a lot of different things that we're about to implement inside of that. Um, but one of the ways we want to make sure that you are up to date with Life at Merge is through what's called the Church Center app. Uh, and if you go to your app store, just look up Church Center, download that. Uh, it'll be a great way as we implement some of the great things that Planning Center lets us do with, with groups and registrations and uh, even giving all in one location. Uh, we're hoping this next week to be able to live stream straight from that app. Uh, and so if you're like... Uh, Mark and don't know how to operate social media, uh, we're giving you a better opportunity to actually stay up to date. Uh, and so, like I said, we hope to have that up and running uh, that next week. And then, uh, secondly, uh, as we talk about giving, uh, we are transitioning our giving online giving platform uh, from Simple Give to uh, giving in the planning center. And so, again, it will keep you all in one location. And so, uh, we'll be running that between now and uh, the end of September, but we just want to make sure you are aware of that. And so, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited because we get to do two incredible things today. Uh, first, we get to sing praises to God about, about who He is and what uh, God has done for us in Jesus. And then secondly, uh, we get to open His Word. Uh, and it is a privilege, hey Word, uh, it is a privilege to get to do that. And I am, I am excited. So, as we, as we do that, let's stop for a second. Let's stand, now that Ward's sat down, let's stand to our feet. Uh, let's shake some hands or wave at people and say, it's good to see you.
my prayer, my hope right now is that this is not a normal Sunday morning. That we are all able to meet with our Savior, our Creator, right here, right now. And celebrate the gift of the grave and what it means for each and every one of us that His body rose. And because of this death, He did not defeat us, so we celebrate that here, right now. Let's do this. Let's be with Him. Sabbath being a sign, surely it was through. Since when as impossible, ever stopped. Friday's disappointment, Sunday's empty tomb. Since when as impossible, ever stopped.
stop working. Never stop. Never stop
a fool of what makes sense. He makes a fool of what makes sense. Grace found my heart with logic. When justice comes, who all my days? This is huge right here. The friend of sin. together this morning. You see so many times in scripture where it seems like 
darkness is winning. I couldn't imagine seeing Jesus go into the tomb. Understanding that he's the son of God, I still feel like my heart would have been broken on that day. The fear of the grave. But on that day, God planted a garden. And out of it grew Jesus' ascension. His conquering of death. Therefore, I have no fear. I would imagine being Moses and seeing this army just chase after. Understanding that their life is done as soon as they catch them. And all of a sudden, God parts the waters and turns the sea into a highway. I have no fear. Story in Ezekiel where a valley of bones, and we sing this in rattle, we're about to sing it again, a valley of bones came to life. I have no fear. I see this time and time again in Scripture. And Father God, I pray this morning that we can see that in our lives. That you turn graves into gardens. You turn mourning to dancing. You turn shame. Shame, our shame. This, this shame that we carry around. This extra weight that we carry around. You turn it into glory. You're the only one who can. pray that our heart jumps at that thought, at that fact, at that understanding. Father, we sing it to you now, this declaration, this prayer right now, and I pray that we hand over our hearts, our lives to you right now, that we surrender, we welcome your Holy Spirit here and now, we thank you for your presence, and we sing this prayer to you.
a people that doesn't chase after this world, doesn't chase after simple ways that we think or that we see to fix our flaws, to fix our brokenness. And you are the one true God. You are the one true King. You turn graves into a beautiful garden that we all get to bear the fruit from. We love you. Bibles. Let's turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews 10, we are many weeks. Uh, in fact, we are uh, 20 weeks if we have, are counting from week one here uh, into exploring uh, the love that God has lavished on us by sending uh, Jesus. And, and we're doing this by simply walking through uh, the letter to the Hebrews. And the pressing uh, has consistently uh, been coming uh, of us coming back to the Word of God and seeing the role uh, that Jesus plays for our freedom. And, and now, uh, the argument that stands is simply this, that, that once you see Jesus as your Savior King, then there is no need to go back to an old way of living. Uh, whether that be an old way of religion or, or especially uh, an old way uh, of living that was slavery to sin, that was leading to death, that was separating us uh, from God. And, and now my concern uh, these past couple weeks uh, is that as we have, have been talking about old covenants and new covenants and animal sacrifices and, and priestly offerings, uh, is that I would not communicate clearly enough what the writer has been expressing because because he, like myself, just desperately wants us to see Jesus. Uh, wants us to see 
how we can find our hope and our joy and our, our treasure uh, in Him and, and our view of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done is, 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 is everything. It, it truly is. It is everything. And especially when it comes to the story that we tell with our lives, that, that if, we have a, if we have, for instance, if we have a small view of our necessity for a Savior, our, our steps will reveal that in, in our worldliness and our flirtation with sins. And uh, no matter how respectable we try to make those sins appear uh, to other people. And then if, if we have a large view of our uh, necessity for a Savior, then, then the fruit of our lives uh, will be a great benefit to others and, and really ourselves uh, because regardless of the season that we find ourselves in, uh, our hope is anchored in the gospel of, of Jesus. And, and now my suspicion uh, is that uh, many of us in this room find themselves somewhere in between these two places. Uh, that, that we have a desire to follow Jesus, but then at the same time we still feel the pool of, of self-satisfaction. And, and this puts us at times uh, at odds with our own hearts. Uh, and we're left either frustrated or confused as to what we are to be doing. And, and I think this is why our relationship with the Word is just so very important. Because in these pages, and for us, uh, in the verses we're going to be uh, traveling through, uh, we're going to see with greater focus God's heart for us. And now, now this, this helps us better understand really where we can find a truth worth building our our lives around, and uh, and now where we're going to be, uh, starting in I think verse 26 this morning uh, is uh, really a continuation of where we left off last week. Now, if you'll remember, uh, what we talked about was that uh, because of Jesus, uh, because of what He has done for us, we can with we can have confidence that our sins are forgiven, uh, and because our sins are forgiven, we have access. To God Now, uh, because of that, we should, this is what the writer tells us to do, he says we should draw near to God, and then he says we should draw near to one another. And if you'll remember, we talked about what drawing near to one another looks like. He says that, that as you gather in gospel community, no matter how, uh, if that's in a corporate setting or, or if it's in a small group setting, um, not necessarily small group minded in the sense of, hey, the church put together a group of people for you to be with, but, but I'm talking about people you do life with that you say, hey, how can we pursue God together? Uh, he says that we, should, um, that we should consider how we stir up one another in love and good deeds. Uh, and then he says, make sure that you are not neglecting meeting together. And then uh, he gives us this um, helpful reminder at the very end. He says that we would encourage one another as we see... And he just calls it the day drawing near, meaning that, that one day is um, the day draws near. When Jesus comes back, uh, there will be, uh, I believe, a greater need for community. And, and so uh, where we, when we get to our starting point in verse 26, we need to be willing to connect this as a continuation of our drawing near to God and our drawing near to one another uh, specifically in regards to how we pursue holiness uh, in our lives. And so let's just read through 
26 through 39, and then we'll, we'll come back to it. Uh, verse 26, for if, okay, so he's told us, draw near, because we have confidence in Jesus, draw near to God, draw near to another. And he says, for if we go on sinning deliberately. Now, if you like to underline or circle in your Bible, this is a good word, all right, because it's very clarifying in what's being said here. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But, Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and, and sometimes being partners with those, who, uh, with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Verse 37, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, uh, and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back, church. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. I'm sorry, and preserve their souls. Two different words, but they start with the same letter. That's why it's confusing. Alright? So, there's a, there's a lot there. And at first, when you read it, it, I believe it can be pretty overwhelming and confusing, uh, especially if the intention is to take this all on in, in one huge bite. Uh, and, and I know this because I've spent the better part of Tuesday and Wednesday trying to do just that. How can I, how can I eat all of this in, in one bite? And I struggled with how verse 26 connects to 32 and then the role that 32 plays when we get uh, to 39. And so, so let's just start this morning by asking a question that helps create a foundation for this house that we're trying to build, okay? Uh, so the question that we want to ask is this. What in the world are these verses telling us? Okay, what, what in the world are these verses telling us? And ultimately it's saying this, that we are being warned about shrinking back into living in deliberate sin. All right, we're being warned about the effects of a person who lives in deliberate sin. And then secondly, as believers, we're being warned about, hey, if you choose to live in deliberate sin, it says something 
about your relationship with God, how you view the role of Jesus. And so uh, to do this, the writer kind of gives us two paths to kind of walk down. And, and the first, he's going to give us this, this sobering warning, and then he's going to remind us with this uh, encouraging confirmation. And now I'm going to warn you, where we're going to spend most of our time uh, this morning is on this first path. And again, it's not a pleasant one. Uh, it is not, but it, I believe it is so very necessary that we would understand how God views sin and the result uh, of what happens when we are unrepentant for those sins. So let's, let's start there, right? So we get this sobering warning in, in verses 26 through 31. And, and what we're trying to answer is simply this. What does deliberate sinning say about our understanding of the gospel. What does it say? Well, it's simply what we'll see is that you were never truly a believer to begin with. That you never really understood the weight of the gospel. And I think we need to remember our audience uh, who this letter is being written to, that the writer is referring to people within the Christian community. He's talking to people who heard the truth, but the fact that they go on sinning deliberately in this sense indicates that these people um, in view are, are not and never were genuine believers. That, uh, that is, they, these are people who have never genuinely embraced the gospel in a way that results in a life of obedience and, and bearing and faith and, and bearing fruit. And if we've been kind of following along, we, we could remember that, that he's been talking to this group pretty much the entire letter. Uh, in fact, if, if we can, this is his fourth appeal to the Hebrews. In fact, he says, uh, I think Hebrews is for the church and is concerned about there being a picture of the church people and that being different from actual believers. Okay, that's, that's what he's bringing us uh, to light. In fact, the writer's been warning about this progression and the dangers of, of pseudo believing in the gospel of Jesus. And, uh, and this is a person who, at first, he says, drifts from the word. And we found that in chapter 2. He says, let us consider so that we don't drift from what we have heard, being the word. And then, uh, after you drift from the word, you, you soon start to doubt the word. And that's chapters 3 and 4. And then, uh, eventually, you become dull to, toward the word, uh, which is chapters 5 and 6, and, and then you become lazy in your spiritual life, and this will result in eventually despising the Word. It's knowing what God would want you to do, and you say, I'm going to do it my own way, because that's exactly what I want to do anyways. And that's what the theme of this, this exhortation is. That's what the theme of this appeal is, that the evidence of this despising is just willfully walking in in sin. And so, so let's understand, we're, we're not talking about dealing with a person who falls into a, one particular sin, um, but we're talking about an attitude that leads to repeated disobedience. God, I know you say this isn't what is best for me, but I'm still going to do it anyways. God, I know you have something better for me, but I'm still going to choose to operate this way. What it does is it reveals a heart that is separate from the gospel. And so, so under the old covenant, there was really, there was no sacrifices for deliberate and willful sins. 
There, there was no attempt to say, you know, I know God says no, but I'm going to do it anyway, and then I'm going to pay him off. I'm going to, and not, not that we do that ever, right? Not that any of us are motivated to go to church because we know that we deliberately sinned. Uh, and we're like, God, I'll make it up to you. You know, I'll come sit down, uh, you know, as if we're doing him a big favor. And so, so under the old covenant, there was no sacrifices. In fact, uh, presumptuous sinners who despise the law that God gives Moses, who gives to the Israelites, uh, the person who did that, um, their um, payment for that was execution. And they were told, the people of Israel were told, hey, if you find someone who deliberately sins, you put them to death. And that's how serious sin is in the eyes of God. And this explains when you get to places like Psalm 51, uh, David prays in the way that he did because he knows specifically when uh, with his sin with Bathsheba, he knows he deliberately stepped outside what is best, uh, that God gave him what is best. And, and he knows that what he deserves is to be slain, but he cries out to God for mercy. And David knew that a multitude of sacrifices could not save him. And all he could do was offer the sacrifice of a broken heart. Now, the person in mind here that the writer of Hebrews is telling us about doesn't have that. They don't have a broken heart. They don't have a contract spirit. What they have is deliberate sin. And what verse 27 brings into play is the effect this deliberate sinning has in our lives. That not only does this reveal a heart that is not genuinely believing, but this brings, uh, this brings with it the fearful expectation of judgment. In fact, in that judgment, the fury of fire consumes the adversaries. And ultimately, that's what sin does. It puts us at odds with God. It doesn't make us a friend with God. It puts us as an adversary towards Him. This means that, that what he's talking about, he's talking about people who have rejected God and are now His opponents. And this is what happens to the heart that chooses sin over relationship with God through Jesus. That, that, that sin puts us at odds with Him and it must be dealt with if He is to remain able to be considered a just God. So that kind of carries us to verses 28 and 29. So, so what does God do when there is sin? And the answer is simply this, that He brings judgment. He brings judgment. One of my study Bibles says it this way. It says, The verses argue... From lesser to greater. In the Mosaic law, the death penalty comes upon those who blaspheme God or, or worship other deities. So, so in the superior new covenant, the expectation of judgment would be even stronger. As, verse, as stated in verse 29, this describes again a person who deliberately, consciously, persistently deserts the living God. And so, so the truth is, all sin must be dealt with. If you've been walking in, in life at Merge, that is, should be nothing new to you. That, that all sin must be dealt with. And what Hebrews has been trying to help us understand is, is either we bear the, the judgment of it or we run to Jesus who bears it for us. Okay, so, so the issue with pseudo-believing is that the Son of God laid down His life for us uh, to receive, or I'm sorry, the pseudo-believers that we're talking about in here, that the Son of God laid down His life for them to receive as their substitute, 
And instead of receiving Him as their life and their hope, what happened is they paused, they got a little bit of religion on them, right? And then they stepped on them. They, they, they drank from the cup of the new covenant and they said, hmm, that's nice juice. And then they, then they turn away and, and they sin uh, as if their salvation was not the most precious reality in the whole universe. And so for these people, the, the writer says that God is a consuming fire. And it sounds harsh, but it is incredible. Incredibly merciful that God can be a consuming fire and yet offer a way for us to avoid that judgment. In fact, the major theme of Hebrews is simply this, and it started in verse 1, chapter 1. God has spoken. Okay? And as God has spoken, how are we responding to His Word? That, that God is and has been very open about His feelings against sin, that he hates it, and his anger burns against it. And the writer here is helping us understand that this in, in very necessary ways. And that's why, that's why he continues to reveal God's judgment in verses 30 and 31 by answering this question. Uh, does God really hate sin? Yes. Yes. That's it. Well, what about my sin? Yes, God hates it. What about, what about my little sin? No, yes, God hates it. He's a consuming fire against it. And so, so this is a letter, Hebrews is a letter that stands against this motivational assumption that the only motivating news is good news. Because in it we, we find the promise of joy, but we also have this warning of, of pain. We, we, we saw it as early back as chapter 2, verse 3, uh, where it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We saw it again in uh, chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. As I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. We saw it as we re-paraphrase uh, re um, chapter 6, is verses 4 and 6, that it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have been enlightened. God, God hates sin. And what does it say about our hearts when we are so frequently motivated to pursue it? So, so whatever, whatever your view of God, the creator of the universe and the father of Jesus, if it does not include this, it is a distorted and an unrealistic view. And what we've done as a, cult, as a church culture is you had decades where, where that's all of God that was presented. That God is angry. God is mad. God wants to guilt you. God wants to beat you. And that was the picture because apparently that's what we thought was the proper motivating, uh, motivating factors. But, but we, what we've done is we've shifted and we start to paint a picture of a God who is just loving and he is just fine. And it's like, hey, you know, it's your sin. That's cool. Just mess with it. It's fine. And it's an inaccurate view. It's an unbiblical view of who God is. So, so we have both a God of love and we have a God of vengeance and they're the same one. And so, so to fall into the hands of the living God is a fearful thing. That being said, in the same vein of a warning of pain, there's this promise of joy, and, and we've, we've, we can read of it uh, as, as we look at what is said in verse 26, 
that there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So a person who goes on sinning deliberately, the sacrifice for sin is null and void to them. That, that, that in other words, we've been given two possibilities when it comes to our relationship with God. That number one, you have terrifying judgment, or number two, you have a sacrifice for your sins. That's what we have. And this means that sin is what God is angry about, and it means that, that He has made provision for escaping His anger, namely the sacrifice of His Son in the place of sinners, of you and me. And so, so the love of God provides escape from the wrath of God by, the sacri- by sacrificing the Son of God to vindicate the glory of God to forgiven sinners. That's what we get to experience. That's, that's the gospel. That's the, the gospel of Jesus, the essence of Christianity. And it makes no sense at all apart from the wrath of God. If there is no wrath and there is no judgment, then there's no need for Jesus to come. That's, that's what we're trying to wear here. And so, so what should a believer do who has drifted away into spiritual doubt and dullness and deliberately despising God's Word? Well, he should know that he can turn to God for, for mercy and for forgiveness. That, that, that there is no other sacrifice for sin but the sacrifice Christ has made and it's sufficient for all of us, for all our sins. And so, so it's a fearful thing to fall into the, the hands of... Um, and I'm sorry, it's a, it's a fearful thing to fall into the Lord's hands for chastening, but it's a wonderful thing to fall into the Lord's hands for cleansing and, and restoration. David will say this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter... I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles chapter 21. He says, uh, Let me now fall into the hand of the Lord for very great are His mercies. And so we lean, we lean pretty heavily on this sobering warning. Uh, in fact, uh, when we do this, because it is imperative that we would understand how God views sin, no matter how small we want to make it or how watered down we wish uh, it to be in our society. That when we say, God, I want to give you my whole life, Sin is not part of it. Because that has been, uh, we have been in, we've been instructed to put that to death. And so, it means we can't play the game, right? We can't play the game. Well, at least I'm not murdering people. You know, because that clearly is a worse sin than my secret sin. Can't do that. We say that the standard of our relationship with God is holiness. And because of who Jesus is, I don't have to be slave to those sins anymore. So we lean heavily onto that. And, and, and what I hope you would understand is I don't, I don't say that to guilt you into anything. I don't. I say that to reveal to you the battleground for our hearts. That, that you have enemy forces, you have your own desires that are at play here, but Christ has come to set you free from all of that. Okay? So we lean heavily on that. We lean heavily that God hates sin. We don't make any um, concessions for that. And so, so we, we lean there. But now let's quickly, uh, let's talk through verses 32 through 39 and the encouraging confirmation that we get. And it's not like a, hey, let's put some sugar on this really um, bitter tasting 
donut? I don't know. What, what are we making with it? Uh, the donut of wrath, right? Okay, uh, that doesn't make any sense. But you're with me, okay? We're not trying to soften it, but we're trying to explain what two things are at play here. Um, and so, and we don't have to spend a lot of time here because what uh, the end of verse 39 is going to do is open the door for where we're going to be spending the next couple weeks uh, as we talk about faith. So, so what we find here is an encouraging confirmation. Now, what, what's the encouragement? And it's simply this. Don't throw away your confidence in God, but have faith. Don't do it. Don't throw away your confidence that you have in God. Rather, just have faith in all of His promises, and all the things that He says. In fact, but recall, verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and, and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. It's one of those moments of saying, hey, you can take it all away. Because I know what I have that God has made available to me. I know I have a greater reward than anything that, that rests on this earth. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you, need to, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, that Jesus will come back, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's, that's the one who deliberately sins. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those uh, who have faith and preserve uh, their souls. And so, so lest the readers in, misinterpret verses 26 through 31, the writer follows it with this word of encouragement and, and confirmation. And, and he's not claiming uh, all the Hebrews were pseudo-believers. In fact, his argument has that, that many had given evidence that they were true Christians. He, he did not expect them. Uh, he did not expect that all of them are despising God's word. Uh, in fact, he's merely warning those who were not producing fruit. That's evidence of the gospel that that's at work. And so, so for the rest, he reminds his readers to recall their willingness to suffer with joy, to suffer reproach and persecution, even to the spoiling of their. Their goods, and when they were uh, not being persecuted themselves, they were courageously identifying with uh, with other Christians who were in danger, even to the point of sharing their bonds. And 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 at that time, they had this great confidence and this great hope. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying: Don't lose that confidence. That confidence that says no matter what the situation... No, that confidence that is in line with pretty much everything we sang here this morning. That regardless of the circumstance of life, you were good. That regardless of how dark the seasons in my life or how difficult the season may be or how painful that season may be, that you are still near. That you have this way of, of turning what looks like death into life. And because of that, I will place my hope 
and I will put my satisfaction in you. So he says at this time, he says, they have great confidence and hope. Don't forget that. And, and he says, listen, the danger of some of you guys is that, is that you're casting away from that confidence and you're going back to your old way of living. And some were going back to an old way of living in religion and some were going back to an old way of living in, in sin. And the secret of the victory here is found in faith and patience, which we're going to speak largely into over these next couple weeks. And until then, we can, we can settle on verse 39 to bring both warning and encouragement in, into this one thought. So we can start wrapping this up, Swine. Um, verse 39, as he's talking, I, I believe the writer is, is trying to encourage us. He says, listen, you can, you can try to go back to deliberate sin, but you don't have to. And he says, but we are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That our belief in who Jesus is preserves our souls. That there are, there are two people described here, and I'm just going to leave you to reconcile which one you are. That there's, there's a believer who lives by faith. Chapter 6 tells us that this person goes on to grow in seeing what Jesus has made open to them more clearly. That, that uh, faith, it's a faith that believes God is true and, and that He has provided for us our Savior King who has bore the weight of God's wrath towards sin. And, and we can walk in faith because God has proven to be truthful in every way for all of time. And then there's this other person who lives by, by sight. And it says that this person runs the risk of shrinking back. Now remember, everything that we've been talking about lately is how we can approach God. And as we see Him as a Father, as we see Him pictured as, as a perfect heavenly Father, and we know that His love is for us, and we know that He is for us, we can walk in with confidence that we don't have to fear His displeasure. And that's not to say that we don't experience His discipline at times. But that we can walk in with confidence knowing that when we speak, He's willing to listen. And so you have this person that walks by faith, and then you have this person who walks by sight. And, and the honest warning here is that when sin reigns, God chastens. That, that when He says destroyed, I, I don't think this always means eternal judgment because I believe he gives us ways to repent. He gives us opportunities to, to confess and to turn away from that sin. I, I believe the best, a uh, better translation for this word here is, is the word waste. I think verse 39 uh, talks about a believer who does not walk by faith but goes back into the old ways and wastes his life. And what he's saying is you don't have to do that. You don't. Now, you can. You can, but you don't have to. And where I hope us to land this morning is, is understanding that to walk by faith means that we walk according to God's ways. We do. That we love what He loves and we adventure where He is sending as we live for the glory of Jesus. And, and that we would be honest 
not only with Him, but about our, with ourselves, about what it says in those moments of our lives where we say, I know I'm sinning, but I just don't care. We say this frequently, you, you can't get where you're going unless you know where you're at. And I promise you this, if you have a prayer and you start it with God, um, in case you weren't aware, uh, He is. <laughs> but you won't shock Him when you say, you know, I have been choosing deliberate. I've been deliberately sinning. He's not going to be like, what? No. And what we find here is that it's not necessary. It isn't. I, have a, I had a youth pastor, and he, he always said this, that sin is fun for a season. And you're like, yeah, I get that. I mean, we don't really want to say that, but it's true. And so to be able to go to him and say, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with this in this season... And I confess it and I walk away from it. And I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to, to put it to death. That's entirely possible to us. It is. And I think it comes down to, as we wrap up, how big is my view of who Jesus is? How big? Because if he's small enough to fit in your pocket, it's not big enough. You're not putting any sin to death with that. But if he's big enough to take on the entirety of your life, to take on the weight of your sin, then I think God will do something incredible through your life. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. We wrap up. Let me make a couple things available. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, understand when I say this, you will never find a release from sin apart from Him. We'll have some people over on this side of the room and they long to pray with you. They love to answer questions with you. And they're, they're smart enough to say, if you ask a question they don't know the answer to, they're willing enough to say, I don't know the answer to that. Let's find it out together. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. We don't believe walking with God should be done uh, as a solo mission, that we should be able to walk together. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you were willing to not lower your standards even one millimeter for us. That you are a just and a holy God. And because of that, we can give you everything about our lives. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. My God is able to save and deliver and heal and restore anything that He wants to. Just ask the man who is strong the bones of Elijah today.
guys have a blessed week. You are dismissed.